for those of you that are listening along, you won't be able to enjoy our, our slides as much, but for those of you that are watching on screen um, or listening to a playback, watching a playback, there's some good things in there and, and some tools that I want to help kind of define what soil health looks like. Um, and, and that is a term that has kind of gotten uh, you know, a little bit bastardized. IHEMP Michigan is a member-based organization backing hemp farmers, seed cultivators, processors, manufacturers, and hemp businesses statewide. Our members are engaged in defining the path to success of industrial hemp from seed to sale and beyond. We are committed to empowering hemp farmers, fueling industry leaders, and educating consumers to ensure hemp flourishes in the Midwest. Our focus is influencing responsible and fair regulation, providing grower education, and enabling full access to the evolving marketplace. I have Michigan advocates for wellness in people and the planet through hemp, and it begins with the farmer. Now, on to our show. We are live on the IHEP Hour. My name is Dave Crabill. I'm with IHEP Michigan. IHEP Michigan's mission is to educate, inform, and promote the research, development, and cultivation of industrial hemp. And we're joined today by a return guest. Is this like your third time to join us, Christy? Three-time offender, you know, yeah. So, so yeah. So glad to join us. Uh, uh, so glad that you're here. And I'm sorry, the allergies have my head in a total funk. So, um, but welcome, Christy, Christy Apple. And uh, we're glad you're here. And we're also joined with uh, our normal cohorts, Mike Brennan and Blaine Bechtold. Take it away, boys. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, we got, we're going to be talking about a lot of events. Now that the, I wouldn't say the pandemic's over, but at least uh, people think it's over. We'll see. But they're all getting out in force. I think just after two years of masks, they're going crazy. And so we got a whole slug of events we'll be talking about at the bottom of the hour. And uh, we're playing Where's the Hemper today. Uh, once again, I'm on the road, so I'll give you a we'll, we'll, we'll We'll let you know where I am at the uh, at the bottom of the hour, but I will give a couple hints. They are uh, they are one of our sponsors and they are one of our exhibitors uh, for at the uh, Midwest I Hemp Expo. Uh, it's also where I uh, process and make my hemp seed oil. So there's a couple hints. We'll expose that, and then uh, we've got a great recipe at the end of the show uh, with doing a little bit of fishing. Since this seems to be fishing season, all my friends seem to be showing me fishing pictures on their uh, on their on their Facebook pages. So we thought we'd throw in a real good. Uh, a real good recipe for uh, using fish. So, so that'll be at the uh, half hour time. So, but Dave, I'll send it back to you and Christy. All right. Well, uh, you know, Christy, what's going on? What we're going to talk soil today, right? Yeah, actually, um, you know, you guys, you guys have been very gracious to keep me included in things happening um, within the Michigan uh, cannabis industry at large, and I've been working in the background. Um, as most of you know, pr predominantly in the field production side of things. So the last couple of years have been really fun to be able to take my, my agronomic background, my farming experience, and translate that into ways to help farmers come up with solutions that are, you know, scalable, um, financially viable, and um, producing crops at a quality point that are, um, you know, where we want them to be. Unfortunately, the market just can't quite get its stuff together um, to, to uh, let these supply chains develop properly from a regulatory standpoint to um, issues with the pandemic and, and true supply chain issues. It seems like one thing after another has uh, continued to bombard us as a, a hemp industry. Um, but I'm, I'm very hopeful and I'm very excited about what's happening right now um, on the agricultural side of this, right? So hemp being recognized as an agricultural product is able or has allowed us to really um, take that that approach for it. And although the CBD craze, you know, kind of the bubble burst on that, I'm almost relieved for that because now it's opened the door and paved the way for legitimate farmers who want to produce hemp at scale are trying to figure out how to integrate this into their agricultural practices. And this is really my strength. This is my strong suit. So um, you guys have asked me to come on back <clears throat> this today and share with you a little bit about some of the soil health benefits of industrial hemp and really making the case for hemp in a large scale or any scale application um, for an agricultural system. So um, yeah, so that's kind of that's kind of what I was going to talk with you guys today about. And um, a lot of a lot of great uh, firsthand experience took place over the last two years 
documenting and providing the, the data and information to support some of the claims that I'm going to be discussing today that are no longer claims, but are irrefutable evidence that industrial hemp not only has a space um, as an agricultural, a viable agricultural product, but also has a, an anchor position as a soil health recovery tool for, uh, you know, modern scale, large scale conventional agriculture, so. All right, and I understand you have a presentation to share today? Yeah, I threw some slides together just to kind of help people with the visual aid, you know, um, for those of you that are listening along, you won't be able to enjoy our, our slides as much, but for those of you that are watching on screen um, or listening to a playback, watching a playback, there's some good things in there and, and some tools that I want to help kind of define what soil health looks like. Um, and, and that is a term that has kind of gotten, uh, you know, a little bit bastardized, um, as many of our buzzwords have, other terms like carbon sequestration and other things that have become terms we say more frequently in our vernacular. Um, but do we have really a good definition for those things? I'm just going to help you guys define some of those. Um, so it's going to be a little bit more of a, a technical presentation today. Um, and so if you have any questions as we go along, gentlemen, please don't hesitate to pop in comments, etc. I'm happy to entertain those conversation points, but I'm going to jump over to my presentation real quick so we can, uh, so we can have a and also, uh, not just gentlemen, like Christy, we have ladies that are watching the show too. So, and I want to put a shout out for you that uh, Christy's going to be at the expo. She's going to be one of our uh, helped uh, monitor one on, um, have a talk on hemp fiber and also going to be on the panel for uh, women in hemp. So we're looking forward to that in May. I'm not sure if my screen is sharing yet. Can you guys see not that? Okay. Well, we see your beautiful face. How's that? <laughs> uh. I'm so good with soil. I'm not good with tech. <laughs> All right. We'll try this. There, one. there we go. Now you're sharing. Okay. Not coming up yet, but it's, it's, it's there we go. All right. That's All right. It. All right. So we're going to talk about soil health and the hemp connection because there is a true valid connection. And I want you to believe in this hemp as a part of this as much as I do. So I think one of the most important things is as a farmer, as we're discussing whether or not hemp is the right fit for our farm, obviously I, I wanna encourage you as the farmer, you as the industry person to go out and seek channels for your, for your produce, right? You're not gonna grow tomatoes if you don't have a market to sell them. It's no different with industrial hemp or soybeans or any other agricultural product, right? Like you need to find an avenue to sell that. Those avenues are developing, those, those pathways are becoming more and more clear, um, but that's really important for you to understand. So am I going to use hemp as a cash crop? The answer is yes. Or do I need to use this as more of a cover crop for a soil recovery purpose? There are some recovery applications for industrial hemp because of some unique agro ag agronomic features that the hemp plant provides. And we're going to talk a little bit today about you know, why integrate hemp into your rotation in the first place. How do, what does that look like? Where do we start? We're also going to talk about some of the key environmental benefits of that. So understanding, you know, how the roots, the soil health, the microbes, the carbon, all of these things kind of play a role in, in integrate together and how this works. And when we're talking about an agricultural crop, and I don't care if this is outdoor recreational marijuana, if this is, you know, industrial hemp for fiber, or if this is corn, we need to understand a couple of things that are, are truthful about the soil, right? So when we're focusing on how to feed a crop. What we need to recognize is the soil is, is largely capable of supplying what it needs to produce those crops. Are we fertilizing the forests? Absolutely not. That is happening with or without human interaction, okay? So we need to, we need to recognize that the soil is alive and it's a living organism and have some respect there for it. And we're technically not feeding the crop. What we're actually doing is feeding the microbes. The microbial populations are what's doing all of the heavy lifting in the soil for us. Everything from nutrient releasing to this incredibly you know, intricate signaling system where these, these soil microbes coexist with plants and plants capture sunlight, turn it into sugar. The sugar shoots out of the roots down, feeds the soil microbes, and then in return, it, the soil microbes provide other things for the plant that it needs. So there's this beautiful symbiosis taking place. And so when we work with the soil's nature, we end up having better results. Instead of trying to augment the soil's nature, um, we can actually harness the power of nature if we can have this respect and understanding it. And we've been collecting 
soil data for many, many generations now. And we're finally getting to a point where we're now looking at the soil microbial populations as a critical part of a, the, that nutrient dynamic flow, right? So if I took like a, a sugar packet, you know, you think about how much material is in a sugar packet. It's approximately, you know, that's like a gram of soil, okay? And in that sugar packet's worth of soil, we're looking at maybe as many as 4 billion microbes within that soil, right? We can see the soil with our eyes. What we can't see is the 4 billion plus microbes that exist within that one gram of soil. So if you can just wrap your head around how active and how diverse is in that small teeny bit of soil, now scale that out to a pot growing on your, your deck or a field that you're growing a crop in. It's, it's incredible and it's mind blowing. And what we wanna take a look at here when we're thinking about these things um, is, is the interactions that are so tightly connected. Like I said, you know, the plants have a, a key role. They're using their leaves as solar panels to capture sunlight. They go through the process of photosynthesis, creating or converting that sunlight energy into sugar complexes, different signatures of sugar complexes, right? We think of sugar as being white table sugar alone, but there's many different forms of sugar. There's, I think there's as many as 16 different specific chains identified as sugars. And within those are a whole series of other shorter and longer chains of carbon that have different functions, not only for the plant, but the different soil microbes. So these microbes rely on the plant to convert sunlight into sugars so that they can do their thing. And the microorganisms within the soil then digest residue. They break down things on the soil surface. They provide pore space, little holes in the soil to hold water, to help our plants to feed in that deep water where the roots are intercepting. Um, you know, and, th and these things are very highly interconnected. And I just wanna make sure I'm not glazing over that too quickly because when we start to recognize how interconnected all of these things are, we suddenly realize that when we do one thing to that system, if we impact one process to that system, we are going to affect the entire plant development and, and production system, right? So working with the soil's nature is really key, understanding that those things are so interconnected. And so also the, the, the opposite is true too. When we impact that process, we can also damage that cycle and our soils become uh, uh, trained to respond to only one type of fertilizer system. And over time, the soil microbe populations become less and less diverse because there isn't as much diverse food being pushed back into the soil. So something that you may have heard, you know, the listeners at home may have heard recently, it's a very popular topic in the circles that I work with, but I speak soil health all day, every day. So this is like my, my daily conversation, right? It may not be as household topic for you, but it does take, you know, it does take more food today to create the same nutrient density profile than say what it did 40 years ago. I think I just recently heard a, an analogy that it takes like five oranges to get the same amount of vitamin C that our oranges from 50 years ago were capable of producing. And that has to do with our cultural agricultural practices, right? Whether that be our herbicide programs, managing weeds, our disease management programs, our nutritional programs, all of these things are affecting our soil microbial populations and thereby affecting the plant's um, effectiveness uh, to create nutrient-dense food for us. And at the end of the day, whether we're producing uh, cannabis of some kind or oranges or whatever that fruit may be, we want that to be as nutritionally dense as possible so that it feeds our human bodies. And if there's one thing that I've learned through my soil health journey is that as our soil goes, so goes our human health, right? The inflammatory diseases that we see today the, you know, the, the cancer epidemics, these autoimmune disorder epidemics are all associated somehow and in many cases can be linked back to lifestyle, um, you know, practices, things like that. Of course, there's always things that we don't have an explanation for, but more and more we're learning that our agricultural practices affect the nutrient density of our food, affect our habits of food, and are therefore impacting our lifestyles today in a negative way. So if we can rethink the way this whole system works and get back to good basic practices, really old fashioned principles, if I'm being completely honest, we can actually do some really neat things there. But one important thing we need to do is understand our baseline. How would you know what your soil health profile looks like? You just take a look at a field and say, no, 
that looks good. <clears throat> I'll say if you drive by a brown field, like this time of year, chances are they've been using chemical practices to manage for weeds. When there's brown and that's all you can see, there's nothing living happening right now. And yet the soil still relies on living roots to sustain itself. So when these fields go for prolonged periods of time with nothing alive on the surface, what it does is it invites pathogenic weeds, um, other things that we don't want to grow there. Um, pathogens seem to thrive in these environmental um, situations. And so then our crops have to deal with diseases. So then we have to apply a fungicide to fix that disease or go through um, you know, genetic modification of some type um, or genetic therapy for that plant to be able to resist those diseases over time, right? So if we could just like wrap our head around, if we could keep some living roots on that farm for the whole growing season or for the whole year, maybe we can start to reduce some of our dependencies on these other synthetic style um, applications for our fields. Christine, um, on, yeah. on the screen, you got Hanny, Hanny testing. I've, I've never heard of that. What's that? Yeah, so um, one of our soil assessment tools that we use to judge or to, to create a profile of soil health is the Haney testing. It was developed by Rick and Liz Haney along with some other, um, other folks at Texas A&M. Basically what that is is a soil extraction methodology, right? So when we soil sample, we, what we do is we take a soil core or a series of soil cores from that intended farm. We run it through some chemical extraction processes and we learn important things about what's in the soil everything from our water extractable nutrients, including carbon, to our soil biological profiles that exist there. What does our bacterial and fungal bodies look like in that soil profile? So the Haney test gives us important information about how to understand our soils better, things that we can make better recommendations for fertilizer applications, for pesticide applications, and maybe even integrating cover crops or a diverse uh, blend of cover crops to help recover or improve your soil structure over time. What we're finding is our rain events. You know, we talk, we hear a lot of talk about climate change on the news, especially. Um, I think our news outlets are, are addicted to these, you know, sort of doom and gloom sort of approaches. But the reality is climate is constantly changing. Whether or not it's changing in a way that supports the narrative of the moment, I don't really know. That's not what I'm here for. But what I do know is, our soils are resilient and have persisted through many climate change cycles on our earth. And so what we can do to help our food production systems and our, our soil resiliency right now is to take tools like the Haney testing, utilize uh, you know, ag data management tools like topsoil, for example, where it is basically designed to interpret those, those pieces of data and convert that into maps where we manage our farms differently, whether that be seed selection, ge other genetic factor selection, whether that be, like I said, our, our pest management programs or our nutritional programs. These things are all interconnected. So having those data points helps us to really start to understand the bigger picture here. I've been so would, using that be a, would that be a separate test? I mean, I've done soil samples before, right? Got my soil through back. So is this something you need to request like separately or a different test than regular soil tests? Right, right. Yes, absolutely. So hey, the Haney testing goes through a different lab. I'm sure you're familiar with using like Michigan State's labs. Um, they're using, you know, standard soil extraction through Malik process, Bray P2, um, or possibly Olson extractions. And basically what that's doing is it's, it's, it's a good baseline, okay? It's a good baseline for just basic data. But what that is, is more of a snapshot of in this moment, what your soil content is. It has no bearing on what your soil release potentials are, right? What that nutrient release potential looks like. So say, for example, my Haney test tells me I have, you know, 50 parts per million of extractable, of accessible, of instantly usable phosphate to the plant. But my soil test I get back from MSU is telling me I only have seven, right? It tells me seven PPM. It doesn't give me a, a context for that seven PPM. All it says is I have this much content and that is not indicative of what's available, okay? Where the soil microbial, um, testing comes into play through the Haney test, we're able to understand so much more about the nutrient demand and the nutrient release curves 
that this dynamic system is capable of, of, of putting out there. So folks that are uh, have set about a journey to integrate cover crops, um, to uh, you know restore soil health in some way, shape or form, have been integrating the soil Haney test into their system in the H3 extractions, which is also developed by Risen Lake Haney. Um, those folks are, are really doing that testing. I use a lab um, called Soil Regen Labs out of Nebraska. Um, Lance Gunderson is uh, my contact there. Phenomenal. If anybody's interested in learning more about this, especially on our small scale craft outdoor growing, I would love to see folks start to implement these Haney tests so that we can start to you know, tune in quality and tuning in um, soil health into their production systems, I think is a really neat way to like take it to the next level too. Um, so another Haney way that we can kind of- is it, is it a lot more expensive than a soil test? Yeah. 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 It's, yeah. it's about, it's at least double. It would be at least double. But in terms of, you know, I'm gonna spend- well, say, mm -hmm. So, so say I spend, you know, $50 on my test for MSU and that's going to give me content. I'm going to spend $100 on my test from Haney, for example. I'm not sure what it costs, but that would be, you know, just for the sake of conversation here. But what I may be able to do is recognize that spending dollars on this farm in cover crops and root diversity is going to pay me back tenfold versus spending it on urea or potash or some of our other conventional synthetic fertility solutions, right? All we're doing is kind of band-aiding and covering up you know, what the soil is lacking by adding additional nitrogen to the soil. Whereas I could plant a leguminous crop, companion crop with my hemp that could be releasing nitrogen all through the growing season for me. Or I could plant it in the fall, knowing in the spring, I'm going to plant hemp and I need some release in the early spring. So as that, that cover crop is dying off and degrading through the course of the winter and in the spring, it's thereby releasing some nutrients to my plants. So I don't have to spend as much money in con conventional fertilizer methods utilizing this. In fact, the average savings by implementing the Haney test approach is about $100 per acre for a conventional farmer. That's significant, especially in today's economic it's climate. It's huge. huge. It's Absolutely. ginormous. <laughs> it's, it's huge. So yeah, so there's, you know, there's, yes, there's some more costs associated with it, but what you're actually gaining is, is a more dynamic picture or, or a more robust picture of what the, the nutrient supply dynamics are. Instead of just a content measurement, you're going to be getting a, a bigger picture and, and context there. So in my opinion, that's extremely valuable. And then you can make better choices about if you want to include a cover crop of some, time, some type. Covering the soil will help to increase the soil microbial diversity, but it also, if you plant something you want there, it can help to suppress the weeds that you don't want there. Right? I love to see cover crops in gardens at home on even small scale because so much, so many people give up on their gardens because they can't keep up with weeds. But what if you planted a small short stature clover there and allowed it to flourish right alongside some of your crops in your garden and manage the weeds for you, right? These, these cover crops, the cover crop approach has real potential. And not only that, is it, is it serving you in that way, but it's also serving the microbes and it's also serving the soil quality. Those roots penetrating down into the soil create little channels for water to penetrate in. So instead of getting that three inch rain that we get in July, that's an angry rain that sends everything down to the creek down the road, maybe those little channels will provide places for that water to infiltrate into the soil and feed our crop or infiltrate in deep enough to give us some, you know, some help in resisting some of the drought you know, issues that we seem to be running into here and there. So it has lots of play, in my opinion, in a lot of different cover cropping systems. <clears throat> Take a look at the root structures here of some of our most popular cover crops. This is right from the SARE website. Um, you know, the different root structures have different purposes. Um, so sometimes we're looking at a crop that naturally produces and releases nitrogen while it's growing. Sometimes it has to be dying off to release those things. We have roots that can help break up compaction on heavy clay soils where we sometimes have a hard time getting water to penetrate or even our intended crop roots to penetrate through there. So there's different ways based on this root structure to kind of have this conversation. But what I think is really interesting and something that we miss or we haven't been talking enough to farmers at large about is some of the uniqueness of the cannabis plant's root structure, right? So a cannabis plant has built into it by its own nature 
three different styles of roots. So we'll pop back to that last slide. See how the different root structures, they have these very unique characteristics, very different architecture, we'll call it. Take a look at this cannabis plant. This is kind of a caricature version of it, but I think it illustrates very well. Not only does it carry a tap root that will anchor that plant initially, it also creates these fibrous roots that access nutrients and access water deep within the soil. And then eventually later in the season, as that plant starts to mature and before it goes into reproductive cycle, it throws out what's called an adventitious root. Um, some people like to call it a crown root. And what that does is it helps to hold the plant stay, stay tall and strong. It helps to access water and other nutrients that are near the surface and other organic compounds that the plant can take in and utilize for energy as it finishes out through its reproductive and you know, crop finish phase. So the nutritional needs shift as that plant matures and grows through the course of the growing season. And so this plant has been pre-built in and pre-crafted with these different types of root architectures already in it that allows it to, re to grow in very diverse um, water systems or very diverse um, climates. We can grow cannabis in virtually every climate on the planet, right? And this is exactly why. It has ability to go very deep for what it needs. It has ability to go wide for what it needs. And based on its environmental conditions, it will adapt, right? So I love this plant, especially in a, a, a crop rotation for fiber and grain. It's really neat to see this. Our cannabinoid production looks exactly <laughs> like this. Let me stop you for a second here. So whether it's, whether it's for grain or fiber or for CBD, it still throws out these different root structures. That's doesn't right. matter which the plant is, okay. That's right. So the plant will respond to the, to the environmental conditions and it will create or push energy into the root development that is you know, in the environment that it's in. So we can get some really neat you know, soil penetration, water, uh, water reaching, uh, microbial interaction, the more root we have, the more microbial action we have, right? So this is an illustration of as that plant grows, what's technically happening over time, right? We're, we're growing the above ground biomass, but there's a biomass that is growing down below that's feeding soil microbes. And that is, you know, feeding itself at the, also at the same time. The, the cannabis plant in and of itself has this just really aggressive rooting capacity. I love nothing more than to go to like the controlled environment growing center, centers all over the state of Michigan and see these beautiful roots just going wild and, you know, in their pots as they're getting ready to transplant them into the next size pot or whatever. But when we're actually out in the field, we can see this as well. And there's so much more happening when we're out on a field scale, because the more roots we have, it increases the pathways and more root exudates that can be sent out, which then encourages more microbial activity to come near the, the roots, right? This is saying we are a friendly scenario. We are, a, we are a plant that wants diversity and we have what you need. You have what we need. Can we coexist and be happy together? So I really love the fact that the industrial hemp plant has this capability, cannabis at large. Um, has this capability. And so that's why we see such beautiful responses to cannabinoid productions when we have more of a biological approach to our nutritional needs or when we inoculate with biologicals in different ways through the course of the growing season. So um, this is exactly why. And there's not a lot of plants that respond this beautifully there in, out in, in agricultural land. Um, so I think this is really neat and something I wish we could talk more about because, that, of course, this is what I love to talk about. <laughs> well, that's you. <laughs> this is what you do. <laughs> that's right. So we're getting like, you know, kind of getting short on time here. I have a few more slides to talk to, but, you know, kind of explaining how these, these systems thrive together when the root penetrates down, how fungal and bacterial populations set up camp and work together to keep the plant alive and to reproduce themselves. And it creates these, what's called PEDs and how these things are all hooked together. So when we're kind of looking at what, you know, how we're feeding our plant, you know, we, we need to get away from this thought that we have to supply everything it needs. Hemp crop removal takes X amount of pounds of NP and K. So I should be able to create a dry granular blend with supplementing that NP and K. I say, throw that mindset in the garbage, shift over to something like a compost or manure system that encourages biological diversity because we are about to, we are about to super supercharge our soil with a plant that responds very heavily to biological 
engagement. So let's make a system that, that works instead of putting what we don't need where we don't need it at the wrong time, right? So I can just, we can just stop there. There's lots more here, um, but I'll stop sharing now so we can kind of wrap it up. Oh, we've got plenty of time, so not not a problem there. We want to we want to we want to suck the knowledge out of your brain today. So this is great. Yeah. But since we're at that time, uh, we're kind of at the uh, half hour time here. Um, Mike, how about you? Got want to share anything with us? Yeah, there's uh, boy, events are back in force. I'll tell you that. There's just a slug of them. Um, this weekend, uh, April twenty third, there's one in Lansing. It's called the Live Cannabis Company. They're presenting the Big music festival. It's going to be right downtown uh, starting at about 11 o'clock at uh, Adido Riverfront Park, which is right near the Capitol. Uh, you can find out more information if you go to our website, mimarijuanareport.com, and get tickets. I don't think they're particularly expensive, 25 bucks or so. Um, uh, another big event that's a little closer to me, I live in Ann Arbor, so it's the Reggae Festival Music Festival that's going to be taking place uh, the following weekend on the 30th, and that'll be in Ypsilanti. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I think Bob Marley's son's going to be there, uh, or at least one of his relatives. I know one of the Marleys is going to be there, and it should be an interesting time. Uh, we worked out a deal with uh, the Floats Nation that's putting that on, and so if you use the code MMR, you get discounted tickets. And also they're having, if you if you buy regular tickets uh there's going to be a special drawing for someone to be upgraded to the vip tickets which includes grab bags and things like that so th that's right here in ann arbor i checked that one out um and uh then of course i want to plug one of our partners on uh on 420 post uh, uh, dan and connie sparrow are having for those folks over in west michigan are having a, a big it's called the canna bash fest and it's going to be in Muskegon on the weekend of July 9th. Now, that's a way out uh, right now, I know. But they just started offering tickets for that yesterday. And we're a media sponsor for that. So I promised them I'd give them a plug on the show. Uh, and, of course, you guys have your big event coming up on May 20th and 21st. And so Dave and Blaine and I worked out a deal for my cannabis audience. And I'll let you explain it, Dave, uh, that... Uh, if you use the code MMR, again, Michigan Marijuana Report, you get a, a discount on your booth for if you're going to be an exhibitor. Right, Dave? Yes, sir. Yeah, Blaine, you want to talk about the expo? Yeah, we're really excited that it's coming. Um, we've had a lot, a lot of planning into this. Um, we've got a lot of great speakers and content going to be there. It actually runs the 19th, 20th, and 21st. The 19th, we're going to be having uh, some training for those people that uh, are looking at getting third-party certified, uh, it's coming for GAMPS or GAP, um, which is good agricultural practices or good manufacturing practices. Uh, it's coming, folks. We're going to have to have these third-party certifications. We have a food product that is either we're either ingesting it by uh, inhaling it or putting it in gummies or putting it in oils or whatever. So. Um, your, the, the regulation is going to be coming for this. So we've got a great opportunity for people to take a little class and learn about it and be ready for it. It takes quite a while to get prepared for something like this. You just can't do it overnight. Um, so we have a, um, a special going on that's for the 19th, going to be in the Radisson. And that'll be an all-day training. Uh, Pete Nielsen is going to put it on, who's uh, done many, many. He's, he's an auditor uh, for different companies. Uh, so he's going to give some real-life experiences. And uh, so if you're thinking about getting third party audited, uh, definitely need, you want to do that. Also on uh, Friday night, uh, Thursday night is the meet and greet. Uh, that's free for anybody that wants to come to that. That'll be at the Radisson Hotel. And then on Friday night, we have the Hempy Awards. So anything that is made with an industrial hemp product, whether it be a, a, a wood product or a food product or bedding products or anything like that, or Rockstar, I'll give them a little shout out. I want to thank the PepsiCo, PepsiCo company here in Lansing uh, they gave us uh, some product to be able to use uh, as a donation for that. So uh, if you haven't tried that yet, it's a great, uh, great energy drink. It's made with hemp seed oil. Um, and I really like it a lot because I can't do those monster drinks, even the Rockstar drinks. They just kind of tear up my stomach. So we have that. So a lot of stuff there. Uh, still, there's a, a exhibitors uh, booths are available yet and you can get some discounts. We've got discounts going on right now with everybody uh, having yesterday's holiday. 
Hope everybody enjoyed that, the 420 day. Um, so that was fun. So we're just looking forward to uh, to a great time and a fun time for everybody and a lot, yep. a lot of great information. And Christy's going to give some information there. She's going to be hosting it. So we, we appreciate that as well, too. So. Blaine, if I could jump in here. One yeah, thing, uh, you know, We have a seven-page agenda. You know, we have, we have a lot going on at the show. And, and trying to display that information in a way that's understandable has been a little bit of a challenge. So I put this in bright red. Use the arrows. So if you go down here. Oh, well, this is uh, sticky. When you mouse over the, uh, I'm going to fix this. This shouldn't stick at the top. Uh, when you mouse over the agenda, you'll have these arrows, and you can arrow through the agenda, see what's going on each day. We, we just added this uh, other. You are so high-tech, Dave. You know what I'm telling you. So That's why we call him the wizard. Always That's right. He's the wizard. He's the wizard. Ugh. I didn't have white hair before I met you guys. <laughs> and speaking of Dave, that. him and I were together yesterday in Flint uh, while we did 420. And we behaved Live. ourselves. Yes, we were. Uh, we were at uh, the uh, Light 'Em Up Provisioning Center where they were giving away. Actually, it happened this morning, and I haven't heard who won. Five pounds of marijuana. Uh, yeah. So if you bought. Not all at once, all to one person. But if you bought, I forget what the conditions were. You had to buy a certain amount of product, and then they, you got a of... coupon. I think of fifty bucks or something, right? And then you, they got a ticket that went into the jar, and then three of the winners, non-veteran winners, would get a pound each. They were drawing that this morning, and then they reserved two pounds for the veterans. So two veteran winners were going to win a pound. I don't know about your consumption, but boy, that'd take care of me for a while, right? So, uh, uh, and I I don't know whether they're actually going to announce the names. I don't know if these people want their names out. Probably not. They have all this, right? Yeah. So I've been waiting to hear from Kyle. I said, well, let me know what happens. And I haven't heard. So they probably they want to remain anonymous. They don't want to share all this with their friends. They'll suddenly have relatives they don't know about coming to them, right? You know, so... But anyway, yeah, it was fun yesterday. It was good. And the point being is Dave and I are working the booths there for your show. We were telling all those folks that they should be participating. And gosh darn, because of that MMR discount, they could save, what, 151 bucks, Dave? Yes, sir. Yep. Yeah. So, and then we we're like, okay. join IHEMP, and it'll get it all the way down to 750 for your booth. So we were pushing it hard. All right. Well, thanks, Mike, for that. Uh, what about the show next week, Mike? You know who's coming on yet or not yet? Oh, I'm still recovering from this week. Uh, okay. It's just been a blur. As I said, I worked a 12-hour day yesterday. Uh, but uh, I'm not sure yet, but we'll probably uh, focus on some of the, uh, the other events coming up this summer. Everybody seems to want to know more about the events, how to sign up for them and all that sort of stuff. And there is no shortage of them. I mean, there's just we have Jamie Cooper on. And she's from Sensi Magazine, does our events. And boy, she just spends five minutes going through just event after event after event. I mean, after a two-year lag where we didn't do anything, yeah, we're right everybody's right. going crazy right now. So uh, that's a good thing. I mean, it's nice to get out and meet people again. So one of the events, Mike, we're going to be at uh, this weekend is going to be the Love Fest. Uh, down in Vandalia, Michigan. This is at the Rainbow Farm. You wanted me to show um, that. And... Um, so it's going to be uh, three days of music and fun and entertainment. Um, so we'll maybe even a little love, who knows, right? You know, What's so that? maybe even a little love too, right? So, well, there might be, you know, I think it's a love knows? fest. So, you know, it could be know, like a Woodstock or something, right? So, mm -hmm. yeah. Dave, do you have our logo for that? Oh, there we go. So this is their second annual. Um, and uh, again, a great lineup of things. It's not $2,500 to attend, so don't get, don't get too excited about that. Um, but if you stop by the booth, we might have some, maybe have some giveaways or something we might have there at the booth if you stop by and say hi. So we plan on being there Friday, Saturday. And if uh, any uh, members are around and they might have time on Sunday and they want to go, uh, give us a shout and we'll see if we can't get you in and maybe you can man the booth for us. So that'd be great on that day. So uh, Illinois Hemp Growers, they have their meeting coming up this, uh, this Saturday as well. Um, so we wish them good luck. And I talked to Rachel about that. She said, wow, they've got like 65 people coming. So She's really excited when that's good news for that, for sure. Um, so news, a little bit of big news that came out this last week. Um, so there's been talk um, about um, 
pump being able to be put into the um, converted and put into the metric system. And on Friday, uh, the new regulatory, the C CRA, the can cannabis regulatory, just changed from um, MRA, marijuana regulatory, say to cannabis regulatory, see, um, announced that uh, they're not going to allow hemp to be synthetically converted to THC and high in inducing compounds of marijuana and going into the metric system at this time. Hmm. Um, after receiving a significant amount of public comment regarding safety concerns and lack of scientific and public health data related to the conversion process, uh, they've decided to withdraw its request for rulemaking at this time. So we'll see if, uh, you know, if we can get some additional information for them and be able so, to so get that would be the it. Delta eights, Delta nines and stuff like that. Is that what it'd be? Yes. That, that was really the, uh, the issue there. Um, and there is, you know, there is pros and cons of each side of that. We'll maybe another show we'll get into that again. We did cover it a while ago, but unfortunately right now that means that, um, uh, another avenue for the hemp CBD product, um, would just won't be available to them right now. So, hmm. Yeah, so that was the big news that was announced this last week from them. So, and that. Uh, what else we got going on? Um, Any positive news? Um, well, yeah, I mean, there's always positive news. We got the expo coming up. That, that, oh, of course, that, yes, that, that's, that's the most positive news positive. we can have, Absolutely. right? Absolutely, way positive yeah. for that. So, yeah, so um, again, uh, we're looking forward. Uh, we only got a few weeks to the expo, so we're looking forward to that. A great great chance for that Thursday night networking for everybody. That's what, this is where the magic happens, folks. Um, you know, we can attend all these webinars online that we want to and everything else. But now that everybody has kind of come back to the face-to-face, -to -face, it's, it's these kind of things where you make the network, you make the connections and, and you grow your business and you grow your friendship. So, yep. We're looking Work the room, you know, plus fresh, yeah, press some flesh, kiss some babies, you know, do the politics. All that kind thing. of stuff. Yeah. All, all that, that kind of stuff. stuff. That's, that's my, that's my target audience. So I, mm -hmm. Everybody gets a few drinks in them. Everybody's relaxed, you know, all networking. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. So and that's what I got, Dave. How about you? You got anything, Dave? Uh, no, sir. Let, let's get back to Christy. I have a question okay. for you. So I, Christy, I've been studying about this regenerative agriculture and things and reading about it. I'm, you know, not much of a farmer, but, uh, curious about it. And I read where fungi are like the, the highways, are they the high, the transportation mode for the microbes, like a fun, fungi layer? It's like when I dig in yeah. the garden, I'll see that big. Like it's like a mat. Right, right. So yeah, so there's many species of fungi, particularly mycorrhizal fungi that provide a, a webbing system that allows moisture to hang out there. Right. Yeah, so the, sorry, there's something going on in the background here and it's, I didn't want to interrupt my, our conversation here, but yeah, so the mycorrhizal fungi have an incredible um, important role in that symbiosis, whether it be water retention, particularly water retention, but also supplying um, or, or providing temporary holding sites for nutrients, enzymes, other cofactors that play roles in releasing nutrients for the plant. So when that plant will throw down through its root structure, whatever that mycorrhizal fungi needs, in return, the mycorrhizal groups will push things back to the root structure for the plant. So depending on what the signature of the exudate is, it will respond, you know, in this core, you know, in this correlated, um, in this correlated way. And so, yes, these mycorrhizal webs can be incredibly, you know, huge. I, I've seen anecdotally, not personally with my own eyes, but some, you know, these massive networks. Um, but when we do soil digs and when we are out checking for, you know, in-season soil health analysis, we most definitely are looking for evidence of that. A lot of times if you dug a, a, a shovel full of soil, sometimes you can see these little teeny dots of water sitting that they're just holding on to something, but you can't quite see what it is. Chances are it's holding on to mycorrhizal fungal webbing, and that's what's holding it in place, waiting for a root to signal for it or waiting for that plan to signal for it. So yeah, they have an incredible role in that. And um, it, when we're tilling our ground and when we're working the soil and breaking up the soil structure, we're impacting those webs, right? We're breaking down those webs. So every single time we, you know, we till, it's, you know, we have to like reestablish. The mycorrhizae has to get back to doing the busy work of reestablishing this web and doesn't have the right symbiosis to do that. So, you know, some of the regenerative 
tenants, we'll call them, or principles is reducing your tillage, mm -hmm. allowing these holistic systems to set up camp and thrive and keep living roots growing on the soil so that those microbial populations can continue to multiply and flourish in that subsoil, you know, in that area where they want to live and want to do their work. Very cool. It is very cool. Now, and on the plants, you were talking about doing the Haney test. I think I have it right. The Haney test on the soil. So, you know, how active, kind of how active the soil is, you know, it's right. not, not just what's there, but is it available, right? And then there, isn't there like a tissue? I remember talking to someone on our show about these tissue tests that you can take on the plants to know what's not only what it needs, but what it's uptaking. Cause sometimes it's, you need a combination of things really to, to release it and make it available to the plant. That's right. So we do, um, we do utilize tissue analysis, which is basically we go out to the field, we collect specific leaves on multiple plants so that we get a representative sample of what's taking place in that field. Um, and the tissue sample, basically they combust it and sample it for what is in the leaf tissue. So what we're doing there is getting a snapshot of what's present in the leaf tissue. A sap analysis is a very different type of yeah. test. Um, Scott with New Age Labs in South Haven, Michigan, has built a, mm -hmm, has built a, a built a tremendous business and a wonderful extraction methodology where they're taking very specific parts of the plant, going through this extraction process and analyzing the actual sap in the xylem and phloem. So the xylem and phloem are these, you know, basically like our artery and veins within our own human body but it's, it's the plant version of that, right? So one takes things up and one takes things down. The same way our veins return our, our blood back to our heart and our arteries carry it away, right? So um, that's, that it works very similar. So when we're actually looking at the vascular system of the plant, what we're doing is comparing what is present versus what's being utilized. And those two things are sometimes very, very different. And with that information, it allows us to make very accurate recommendations about how to fix a problem if the plants are showing, you know, visual symptoms, leaf symptoms of a deficiency of some kind, which could impede our fruit, which would be our floral material in the cannabis space. It could be our grapes in the vineyard space. It could be our soybeans in the modern agriculture or the large scale, you know, agriculture space. We utilize those same tests and extractions to gather this information so that we can make highly accurate recommendations and correcting problems or getting ahead of issues if, in case they might be, you know, heading that direction. So um, yes, it's a very valuable tool. It also helps us to mitigate some of our upfront cost in fertility because we have these, these um, formulas that says this plant's going to remove X, Y, and Z of nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus or whatever. And so we supply all that up front. Then we have a rain event or we go through a drought event or we are in a very poor productivity field that doesn't release nutrients well, but we've already put everything out that we needed. In most cases, it's much more prudent for you to minimize that upfront application, leverage your SAP analysis to make in-season recommendations. So instead of turning big giant cogs, suddenly we're turning these super small dials, but we're changing the trajectory of our yield and of our quality of that produce, whatever that might be. That's so important right now too, especially with the cost of, of chemicals and fertilizer and, and even the lack of getting them. You know, if you can say, okay, instead of putting a hundred pounds on, I'm only going to put 30, right? I mean, it makes yeah, you're easy. right, Blaine. And, and even, even bigger picture than that, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, wax poetic here <laughs> because the economics of this is what's driving people to implement these systems. But from a, from a nutrient management, from a, an environmental stewardship perspective, we should be doing these things anyway. Why would we be putting things out there that we don't need or our plant isn't going to access or utilize? Why are we not respecting that symbiosis that we've been talking about and letting the microbes do their work and supplying minimally on the synthetic side and utilizing the, these data points, the Haney testing, the soil sampling, and the in-season tissue or sap analysis to supply exactly what that plant needs when it needs it. You wouldn't feed a Big Mac to a baby. 
the same way you're not going to feed a baby <laughs> bottle to a teenager, right? So why wouldn't we tailor that nutritional program? It's been largely a matter of convenience. And now that the economics don't support that convenience, it's driving people to make these decisions. And I hope that they become embedded cultural practices moving forward for their farms because it's a better practice for the soil, for our environment, for nutrient quality and density in the actual fruit itself, you know, and for our profit and loss statements, right? Um, so before we get, before we close today, I want to make sure people know how to get a hold of you. We should have done that at the beginning of the show too, but if people want to get a hold of you and, and, and get your knowledge and get your assistance and help, how do they do that? You can reach out to me um, personally on any of my social media platforms. I'm on LinkedIn, um, Christy Lee Apple. Um, you can find me on Instagram as Crop Scout Christy Lee and on Facebook as Christy L. Apple or Crop Scout Christy. Um, I'm accessible. You can direct message me in any of those channels, um, but I'd be happy to, you know, happy to answer your questions. I do private consulting. I also represent a crop nutrient company that focuses on soil health and microbial fostering. And so I have a lot of access and a lot of experience in helping farmers of all scales navigate um, different nutrient challenges and also help to develop, um, you know, environmentally stewardship worthy programs for your for your cropping system. And you and you and you cross over, I'm going to put it that way, I guess. I mean, you do fruit, you do vegetables, you do row crops, you do hemp, right? You yeah, so I, I started my, my career in the um, large-scale ag space. So I was working predominantly with corn and soybean producers, alfalfa, anything that you'd see in large-scale fields pretty much anywhere across the U.S. Um, about five years ago, I took a step into onto the dark side, which is a specialty crop space, which eventually <laughs> led me into the industrial hemp and cannabis space. So I have several clients within the fruit production, permanent crop fruits, I'm focusing heavily on soil quality as a means to get fruit quality, you know, to tease out fruit quality. Um, farmers, especially people in the craft beverage industry, I work with hops producers, grape producers, um, apple producers that are going into ciders and that type of thing. Um, so that quality is of the essence, right? And also environmental stewardship is incredibly important as a, a tenant of their um, consumer marketing, uh, you know, approach. And so they want to do right with their products that they're sourcing. They want to work with farmers that are doing right with the soil um, to, to put out a message, not, not just to put out a message of sustainability, but also, um, you know, to reinforce to the farmer that this is something that we value. And so particularly anything that is directly consumable, I think that that's naturally a higher priority. And so, yeah, so I work with a lot of different producers in a lot of different aspects. Um, I work with several um producers on the cannabis side of space, both in the medical, I do some private consultation for um, in the caregiver system. I do some consultation um, on the recreational space. And then of course, in the industrial hemp all throughout the, the spectrum of, of industrial hemp, both cannabinoids, and then the grain and fiber as well. So yeah, so very diverse in, in my background, there's pretty much nothing you're growing that I haven't worked on. Um, I, it challenged me, I dare you. <laughs> I, I, and I love a new challenge. Challenge. So please, um, I'm happy to work with those so, you know, farmers that want to do better with the soil. So. We, we should get you back to talk about carbon sequestration because you've been doing some work in that area, haven't you? I have, yes. Um, I'm a part of a, a consultant network that focuses very, very heavily on um, empowering and, and educating farmers on how to transition their cultural practices for their farm into regenerative practices for the purpose of retaining soil, minimizing erosion, um, keeping nutrients in the field, water infiltration, and integrating livestock grazing into their cropping system. So it's a really neat space to operate in. It's also created lots of vultures and ambulance chasing type of things happening <laughs> in that space. Anywhere where there's money to be made, you're naturally going to have that. But because the agricultural space is where we have the ability to create the most rapid change in terms of carbon sequestration to meet, um, you know, the corporate, uh, global corporate rules and regulations on doing business and carbon footprint. Um, the farmers are being, you know, kind of approached with this, hey, why don't you do this? We'll pay for your carbon credits, but we really can't, 
we really can't quantify any of that correctly yet. So there's a lot of work being done right now in that space. And I'm very proud to be a part of, you know, helping farmers to create systems that work and are practical and are economical and are sustainable and scalable. Um, none of those things are a priority for the people who are trying to buy carbon credits. Um, what they're trying to do is find the people that can achieve what they need. And the farmers, the agricultural industry is where that can take place, um, seconded only to the forestry industry. So, you know, there's a, a huge need to have people like myself that can give good coaching and consultation in that space. And, and I think that there's a lot more to, of work to be done in that space. And I'd be happy to come back and talk about that um, at some point when, you, uh, when it makes sense to do that, guys. I appreciate the invitation and the wonderful relationship I have with, with you folks. All right. we well, we love you, Christy. We love Crop Talk, Christy. Yes, we do. So, yes, yes, yes. So, again, a uh, bunch of social media sites you can get a hold around. And if you have any problems, you can get a hold of us. And I think you're on the uh, the website as well. So, you can get a hold of you that way. So, we have to get um, you into the, our, our uh, business members directory, Christy. All right. Let's Only do it. Only $100, you know. So, I haven't nagged you in a long time. You, that's true. I, that's true. All right. All right. Let's do it. I'll nag you. I'm good. Then you get a discount right, well, on your booth. We're going to enjoy you know? having you at the expo. For we're sure. all in so, this together. Mike? We're trying to make something happen here. We need a little. Did you just have uh, me on the show to work me over? Is that, was that what's no. happening here? <laughs> oh, it just, it just popped up in my, uh, my uh, Tylenol. We're tag teaming you. So. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't appreciate have what you guys are doing for the industry at large, truly and do. sincerely. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're trying. We're trying. Just, we're trying as best we can. So, yeah. Well, stay hang on happen. for the recipe because we're going to talk food now because it's it's yeah. About unfortunately, that unfortunately, I, I, I on the road today and I forgot my hat. I normally oh. put my little you need hat two of here, them. But... You need two. You need to pack one for when well, you're on the road. You know. Yeah, so. I, I guess I need to have a checklist where I leave, Mike. That's what yeah. I need to do. That would be good. But... Yeah. So before I get into the recipe, I do want to talk about. So, if you did, anybody guess where 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 the hemper is today? So the hemper is in uh, Washington, Michigan, at Icon Processors, and we want to thank them for allowing us for me to host today and come from here, and also uh, give you a little bit update on what they're doing. So, um, uh, one of the products they make is the Benefita, is their brand, and they've got a lot of different kinds. They've got some full spectrum soothing lotion, and they've got some. Uh, stuff for the pets as well. Oh yeah, um, they could make that. They make some other creams that they do. Um, so the Benefita line, if you go look on that for Benefita, this is another one they do that they make the product for is the CBD Stat. Um, so if you've ever seen that brand, that's one of their brands as well. So again, I want to thank them for that. And if you see the little like the little thing behind me there on the wall, it talks about biofuel, biodiesel. So I'm kind of excited to be here today because one of the things we're doing is um, I do make the uh, the oil here, my, my, my hemp seed oil here, and um, we're going to be doing some sunflowers today. Um, first time we ran that to make some sunflower oil. So that's kind of fun. So we're looking forward to that kind of fun today. And then the other thing we're doing is uh, we are working on the biodiesel. So um, that's something else that we're, that we're working on here that Icon Process is doing. So keep tuned for that. We'll have some of that information available at the expo as well where we sit on that. So, but that being said, uh, right. Today we say have, hi to Fabio for us. Yeah, he's out. Back, he's out back working while I'm in here playing. So that's what's going Good on. Here, so, um, so this is a so again for all my fishing buddies. Just look at that picture. Is that just yummy or what mm. does that look like today? Oh. It's a honey gla garlic glazed salmon, and you can't go wrong with this tasty of garlicky sweet salmon. Uh, serving four in this particular recipe takes about twenty minutes. Uh, the calories are pretty low, 481 for those that are looking look to watch your figure. It's good for lunch or dinner. Um, and this recipe is by uh, the Chunky Chef. So you won't believe how much recipe you can pack and so much fun. So, uh, you know, get your salmon flays. Uh, a lot of people, of course, like to get the wild-caught salmon. Uh, or if you're over, like on my side of the state, a lot of people are doing fishing right now, so you get some fresh salmon. Um Hemp hearts, kosher salt, black pepper, smoked paprika, or regular if you have it, um, blackening seasoning. The sauce you do is uh, the table is butter, uh, olive oil, uh, or hemp seed oil, which is what I would recommend you re replace that with. Uh, six cloves of garlic, a half a cup of honey, mm -mm -mm. Uh, three tablespoons of water, tablespoon of soy sauce, some, some other uh, sriracha sauce, and lemon juice is in this recipe. So, um, 
Again, not take a lot of time on the grill. It's pretty quick to do. Um, and there's all the steps you got to do for that. We have this recipe and many, many, many more recipes on the website, the IHamMichigan.com website under under uh, recipes. So that's where we're at, guys. Now for next week, uh, we don't we, we're going to have a great show next week. I can't tell you what it is because we're waiting to hear back on a couple people. So, but again, we'll have another very informative show next week. All right. Any last words, Michael? Uh, just, uh, you know, check out MI Marijuana Report if you want to find out where the all the latest events are. And like I say, it's summertime and boy, they're everywhere across the state. And we've got some of them listed. So get out, enjoy yourself. And uh, it'll be 80 degrees this weekend. You need yes. to come. Yes, it's hard to, to believe since it snowed on Monday, right? At 80 That's degrees. Right. Well, gotta love Michigan, yeah. right? It's you all know? right. It's so. Michigan. And hey, you know, spring is coming. It just happens that way every year. It's just going to be there. So we're going right from winter to summer. But uh, if you're at the Love Fest, uh, do stop by the booth, uh, say hi, and uh, we'll maybe have some giveaways to get them. So. All right. Peace and love. All right. Thank you for listening to the IHEMP Michigan podcast. Have a question, comment, or suggestion? Email dave at ihempmichigan.com.